Today we continue our series on the Book of Life, the consideration of those pivotal events that mark our journey from birth to death. We looked at baptism and the crisis of faith and forgiveness. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Alex spoke to you about vocation, and then just last week, our newest pastor, Kelsey, brought confirmation into focus. And today, I'm here to talk to you about ordination. Now, I will admit that when I was given this subject, I was a little surprised. I mean, after all, not everyone is ordained. And so this, understandably, may be the week when you give yourself permission to take a Sunday off. For unless you are a pastor or an elder or a deacon, what does ordination have to do with you? Well, let's see if together we can find out. Please pray with me. Holy One, you place your hand upon us. You go before us, you follow behind us, you hold us fast. In the stillness of this morning hour, may we hear the truth that comes through the secret whisperings of your Holy Spirit, and may we yield our lives to that truth. May we say yes to you as you have said yes to us. Take these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and make them acceptable to you, O Lord, and to these, your beloved people. We pray in Christ's name and for the sake of the world. Amen. I vividly remember my ordination. I remember gathering with my ordination commission to pray before the service. I remember the dress that I wore and the friends and family who were there. I remember feeling the water on my forehead as I reaffirmed my baptism. I remember the warmth of the stole as Pastor David Robertson placed that yoke of office around my shoulders for the very first time. I remember kneeling on the chancel steps and the surprising weight of the hands that were laid upon me as they prayed that God would somehow use this person to serve the church. I remember the lump in my throat and the tears in my eyes as I raised my hands to give the blessing over that gathered congregation. And afterwards, I remember when it was all over, wondering what just happened? I think ordination is one of those seismic events in life, like marriage or the birth of a baby or a dire diagnosis, or the death of a loved one. Those moments when you know you go in one side of it with your life in one identity and you emerge on the other side with a whole different one. Who are you now? It's disquieting. It's disturbing. It's disorienting. The Reverend Marjorie Wilhelmy. Who the heck is that? My ordination had conferred on me a new identity, a new title that I did not know how to claim. For what had really changed? Other people changed. Almost everyone acted differently towards me. Some people wanted to avoid me. Others came closer to tell me their troubles. Still others wanted to explain to me why they didn't go to church because they're spiritual but not religious, don't you know? 
and others wanted me to unpack for them why all the evil and suffering occurred in a world that was ruled by a loving God. And just about everyone seemed to think that I had never heard a swear word before, much less used one. I suddenly felt held to a new standard of expectation, lifted onto some holier-than-thou pedestal on which I knew I clearly did not belong and had no wish to stand. For you see, I felt exactly the same. I knew I was nothing special. I knew that I was still the same fallible, flawed, imperfect human being who had somehow said yes to this call to ministry of word and sacrament. I was still absolutely ordinary. Ordinary and ordained. Ordinary, ordained. They both come from the same Latin root, which seems to simply mean put in order, to arrange, to be ordered. Which allows me to take the leap to say, of course, that you are all ordained, all you ordinary people. The fact that you are here means that you have heard the call from the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and you have said yes. Yes, you are ordinary. But more than that, you are extraordinary. Ordained, as the scripture says, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, so that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. The New Testament is very clear that we are all ordained to ministry in Christ's name. One example can be found in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul begs that congregation in Ephesus to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. And Paul goes on to explain that each of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, some ushers, some musicians, some choir singers, some coffee hour hosts, some parking lot attendants, some prayers, some caring friends, some Stephen ministers, some accent Pontiac supporters, some, well, the list goes on. Just read Ephesians 4 and you'll find yourself in there. And all of this, it says, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the maturity and the full measure of the stature of Christ. Do you get that? That's what's going on. You are all ordered for ministry. And that ministry is no less than to usher the whole world into the kingdom of God, into our full design as human beings who are created in the image of God until we reach the measure of the full stature of Christ. That is yours to do as a Christian. 
You were ordained to it in your baptism. Let that soak in. The Book of Order says that in baptism, each Christian is called to ministry in Christ's name. It says further that the basic form of ministry is the ministry of the whole people of God. Members and those in ordered ministries serve together under the mandate of Christ, and one is not more important than the other. The early church understood this well. In fact, back then, all were considered ministers. Back then, it took three years for a person to prepare to become baptized. But once baptized, it was understood that you were a fully-fledged minister of Christ, called to serve and to tell the good news in every place and in every way you could, to point to the holy sacramental nature of every moment, every relationship, every conversation, every task, to point out the God-infused, Christ-soaked reality of this world as you break bread and as you drink wine and as you wash in the river of ordinary, everyday life. You are called to be the salt, the light, the leaven of God's love in this earthly realm that yearns, oh, how it aches to experience it. Somehow or other, about 1,700 years ago, we flipped that upside down. So that now we baptize willy-nilly, but we set certain folks up on an ordination pedestal where on most days, truth be told, most of you would rather not be, right? It's comforting to see other people up here week after week bearing the role of minister. And it's easy to forget that these folks are not the only ministers of the church. And that ministry of the ordained is no substitute for ministry of the baptized. It's simply a prototype copied from Christ's own so that the church might see the pattern for seeking and responding to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Presence that is always all around us. Now maybe learning that you're ordained does not sound like good news to you. Maybe for many of you, it sounds like a sneaky way to get you to do more, to teach Sunday school, to make coffee, to call members. Or maybe it sounds like an exhortation to be more, be more generous, be more loving, be more, more. But I propose to you that your ordination is the very simple call to be the one you already are to do what you already do, but with one difference, namely that you live your lives with holy imagination on full alert to expect to see the word made manifest in the mundane murmurings of every day, to tune your ears to hear it in simple conversations or secular song in sheer silence, to open your eyes to glimpse the holiness of ordinary bread or wine or water and then begin to suspect that same holiness may be hiding in other things as well, in a green leaf or a robin's breast or a coffee cup or a clean bedsheet, to recognize that everything can bear the grace of God, that all creation 
can mediate the sacred, that communion can be experienced around every table, that any lap or desk or fallen log can be an altar, that any forest or shopping aisle or living room can be a sanctuary. The ministries of word and sacrament may begin in the church, but they never end there, as preacher Barbara Brown Taylor has so eloquently said. They are born into the world by all baptized Christians who exercise them in more ways and places than the clergy alone ever could. Our baptisms are our ordinations, the moments in which we are all set apart as God's people to share Christ's ministry, whether or not we ever wear a clerical collar around our necks. Taylor intriguingly wonders what it would be like if the cross made on our foreheads in baptism were made not with water, but with permanent ink. A nice deep purple would work well so that all who bore Christ's mark bore it openly, visibly, for all the world to see for the rest of their lives. For as the first letter of Peter so eloquently points out, we are all priests ordained by God at the baptism to share Christ's ministry, to recognize the extraordinary dimensions of ordinary life, to see the hand of God at work in the world, and to realize that your hands, your feet, your voice, your face, your heart are the tools God uses to get that work done. Many of us, myself included, shudder at the thought that we are part of the priesthood. We know we are not worthy. But you know, the first ministers were the 12 disciples, and there is absolutely no evidence that Jesus chose them because they were brighter or more capable or more spiritually attuned than anyone else. In fact, read the New Testament, and you will discover that they were consistently missing the point, jockeying for position, and heading for the hills when the going got tough. I hereby submit into evidence Peter, the rock on which Jesus promised to build his church. Nadia Boltz Weber suggests that this text must have been redacted. She proposes that the originally actually stated that Jesus said, you are Peter, dumb as a rock, and on you I will build my church. And that is our legacy today. For you see, God doesn't need the brilliant, the amazing, the capable, the saintly, or the perfect. God needs the ordinary, like those first disciples, a tax collector, a bunch of fishermen, a religious zealot, a thief, a woman of shady reputation, a tent maker. Those whose sole qualifications seems to have been their willingness to rise to their feet and say yes when Jesus said, follow me. For as Paul himself said later, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This, for me, is what ordination is all about. The ordering of my life, the ordering of your life, the ordering of every ordinary day in such a way that the grace of God shines through it. The Holy Spirit empowers it. And the love of God reaches out beyond us all to heal the world. So let it be, O oh Lord, and let it be so. Amen.